We're so honored that you joined us for this week's message here at Hope Church in Kalispell, Montana. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Who's ready to get into God's Word this morning? Man, I'll tell you what. There's sometimes, um, you know, when I'm studying to preach and I'm preparing to preach God's Word, there's sometimes, there's just a little, little extra hot sauce on a message, you know? It's kind of like, uh, I don't know how many of you, like, in the morning when you have breakfast, I don't, I'm not a big breakfast guy, but when I eat breakfast, there's sometimes I just like a little hot sauce on my eggs and bacon, you know? It just adds a little something extra to it, spices it up. There's just something stirring, I believe, in me and in God's church that God wants us to tap into. So if you'll do me a favor and take your Bibles, take your phone, your iPad, whatever it is that you read your Bible on, and turn with me to Luke chapter 10. I'm going to share a little bit of a passage in Scripture, and I'm going to preach to you a little bit what's on my heart. And then I'm going to give you some really practical tools that I believe are going to help make your faith more functional in your life. All right, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. I'm reading to you out of the NIV version this morning. Many of you, this is going to be a familiar passage, just to set it up for you a little bit, set the table, if you will. Uh, Jesus gets confronted, as was kind of customary, by people that were trying to find a loophole. In fact, I love the message version of the Bible. Uh, it's, a, it's a paraphrase of the Bible, really. There's one, one um, sentence in this, this uh, passage of Scripture where it says, he was looking for a loophole. And I think so many times people were trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to trick him. They were trying to find a loophole in everything that he was teaching and preaching and even more so in the things that he was doing. And I think we have to be careful. I think we're living in a day and age that even Christians are trying to find loopholes in the Bible and the Word of God and what Jesus told us. And we're going to see today how Jesus handles this occasion and this interaction. Verse 25, on one occasion... An expert in the law stood up to, Je to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? <laughs> Don't you just love Jesus? I love Jesus. He's constantly turning questions into questions. He kind of does that in my personal life, too. When I'm talking to him about something, he'll turn it back to me and say, well, what about this? And he was constantly doing that when people tried to test them. And so I love it. He knows that this guy is a lawyer. He's a scholar of the religious law. And he says, well, you tell me what's in the book. You know it better, than, probably better than me. And he says, how do, you, how do you read it? In other words, how do you interpret it? I want to know how you see things. And he says, uh, he answered in verse 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Semicolon and comma, <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> kind of throw that one in there towards the end. And Jesus says to him this, you've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> this wasn't really the answer that I was looking for, Jesus. What do you mean do this and live? Jesus, I love the simplicity of Jesus. Yeah, just do this. You want, to, you, want to, you want to have eternal life? Just do this. 
And he says this, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, uh, Jesus, you know, I'm a lawyer here, so let's get into the nitty-gritty. Let's get into the fine print here. Can you tell me who exactly is my neighbor? I mean, can you just define that a little bit for me better? Uh, I want to know what I'm working with here. Who exactly is my neighbor? And again, I love Jesus. He doesn't answer him. He tells him a story. <laughs> He's like, hey. In reply, Jesus said this. I got a story to tell you. A man was going down to Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, he's a good religious person, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, Samaritan, now at this point, this lawyer had to be like taking a step back, saying, well, I already know how this one is. Because what you may not understand that I need to help you understand is a Samaritan was, they, they, were, they were enemies with the Jews. They were their, they were their enemies. Samaritans, uh, Jews looked at Samaritans as half-breeds. They were a mixed, mixed breed, a mixed race. They were looked down at as scum. They were looked down at as less than. They were marginalized. They didn't even interact with Samaritans because they would be considered unclean if they did. And, and they had their own part of town, Samaria, that they relegated all these people to and said, you just live here and stay out of our way and we'll stay out of your way. And so Jesus picks the most obnoxious person, the one that would be most despised, most hated, most unlike you and most unlike me in this story. And he goes on to say, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Some versions said he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for an extra expense, any extra expense that you may have. Now he turns back to the lawyer and said, which one of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Couldn't even say the Samaritan. Couldn't even say the name. Couldn't even say the word. But he said, yeah, I guess the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, and I believe this is the word for us today. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Father, we invite your presence to come be with us, God. God, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you that you challenge us. God, you challenge our perspective. You challenge the way that we live and that you didn't die on a cross and rise again to give us life so that we could sit on it. God, you gave us life so that we would have faith in you for the things that you've called us to do, for the people that you've made us to be. God, help us. Help us today to put our faith into action. 
to not let us have a faith that just is in our head. But God, I pray today would be a day that faith gets in our heart. God, I pray for every single person right now. I just want you to do this. Just put your hand on your heart. If you're watching at home, you're in Eureka, put your hand on your heart right now. God, Holy Spirit, come right now. I pray for every single person. God, I pray that you would awaken your word in us today. God, I pray that we would leave here not the same that we came in. I pray that we would be challenged, that we would be convicted, that we would be changed and transformed by your word in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen, amen. Let's just take a moment together. I wanna pray for our nation. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that you founded this nation, one nation, under God, indivisible. God, this is your country. God, it was founded on a belief in you and a foundation of Christian values. God, I pray that you would turn this nation once again back to you. God, we pray that revival would sweep across this nation. Father, we pray that you would forgive us that you would hear from heaven, that you would forgive us and heal our lands. God, we lift up President Trump and Vice President Pence to you. God, we pray that you surround them with godly counsel. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give them wisdom to lead our country right now. God, I pray that you would continue to build your church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. God, I declare like we sang in worship, God, you reign over this nation. You reign over this nation, God. Drive out the darkness in this nation, God, and restore this country back to you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. I want to talk to you this morning about how to share your faith. How to share your faith. And even in saying that, I think sometimes um, in the church, we read stories in the Bible. We know things that we should be doing and that we should have a heart for, but there can be like I've seen in my own personal life, and, and then even becoming a pastor, talking to, to many of you, I see this gap at work where there's things that we say yes and amen to, we read in the Bible, we believe with our head, but we haven't actually activated our heart enough to put it into action in our life. In other words, it becomes a function of faith to a degree in that we believe it, but it isn't a functional faith, a faith that works out in our everyday life because there can be this gap between, how do I do that? Like, I have faith for that. I just don't know how to do it. And I think this is one of the areas that I personally believe there's a huge gap between we know that God has called us to share our faith. We know that lives are actually dependent upon us knowing that God commissioned us to share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet somehow, over time, I think we have, just like this lawyer in this, in this story, we've justified why we don't. Why it's not a part of our everyday life. Why we don't engage in it? In fact, as I've studied this, I saw some astounding statistics about most Christians do believe this is a, a critical aspect of our faith that we, we should engage in, that God has told us to do, that he's commanded us to do, that not only has he commanded us to do it, but he's commissioned us to do it. And yet, more than 50% 
of believers haven't even shared their faith in over a year. Now, when I look at the current climate of our country right now, I wonder if the problem is that too many of us are not taking the commission that God gave us in Matthew 28, verse 18 and 19, where he said, go to his disciples. He said, I'm going to be leaving you. I'm going to leave this earth. And by the way, he was setting them up because he said, it's better for you that I leave. Why? Because I'm going to send you the helper. I'm going to send the same spirit that I operated on, that I lived out my faith on the earth, that you saw miracles happen, that you saw me preach the good news through. That same spirit that was in me is going to be in you. I'm going to give it to you as a gift. All you have to do is ask for it. Because I'm a good father and I want to give good gifts to my children. And this is something that I know that you need to do what I've called you to do. And as he was preparing them to leave this earth and that they were going to carry on now the ministry of Jesus, which I'm sure, just like you and me, um, blows their mind or blowing their mind. How in the world are we going to do this and how do we do it? What do we do? I don't know. There's this gap. And Jesus says, this is what I want you to do. I'm going to give you this gift. You're going to be filled with the same spirit that I operate on, that, that you've seen miracles happen, that you've preached, you've, you've heard me preach, you've seen people fall down on their knees, you've seen blind eyes open, deaf ears unstopped, you've seen shriveled hands come to life again, you've seen people that literally stop breathing, get breath back in their lungs and come alive, right in front of you. You saw that, you saw me do that. Now I'm gonna commission you to go and do likewise. What? Seriously? Me? No, 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 no. We're just fishermen. We're just following you. But Jesus, when he first saw them, he said, when they were just fishermen, he gave them an invitation. I believe he's still giving that invitation. That invitation was, come, follow me. And I'll do what? I'll make you more holy? I'll, I'll, I'll give you a church that you can come and experience the presence of God in every day? I, I'm going to... I'm going to make you more like me. I'm going I'm to help you not to cuss anymore. I'm going to help you not to be addicted anymore. I'm going to break the power of sin. All those things, yes, that's a part of it. But that's not what he said. What he said was, come follow me, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Did you know that your number one priority for following Jesus is to be used by him? to represent him on the earth, to share him, to share what you've been freely given. Now go and freely give. Here we are, and I look at the state of the world, and I wonder if part of it, everything that we're seeing, isn't a byproduct of somehow we have forgotten the greatest mission on earth it's what we're alive for. It's what we've been born again for. If not, wouldn't, wouldn't God just zap you and beam you up, Scotty? Hey, I'm good. I'm going to heaven. Zap me up. Get me out of this hell hole, right? I mean, come on. Let's be real. But no, he doesn't do that. 
Because now, he says, when you are born again, and we're going to have baptisms later, we're going to celebrate new life, and it's going to be amazing. But when we celebrate that new life, every time, baptisms get to me, man. I just start crying like a baby. And, and it gets me because it's such a reminder. That's what it's all about. Like people coming into the kingdom. <laughs> like we can do church and we can do Bible, we can do all that is good, it's necessary, it's part of the, part of the Christian life, it's part of following Jesus. But if that's not happening, we are missing something. There's this gap. So I want to I remind you, man, I, I feel this burning inside my spirit this morning. But the greatest way to love your neighbor is to share Jesus with them. It's just to share Jesus with them. And I know there's, even in saying that, there's a lot of fear in that. I think that's one, there's a lot of fear of man. There's a lot of fear of stepping out and, and allowing God to use us in that way. And so what I hope to do is I hope, number one, to give you the heart of God this morning for people. And number two, I want to give you some practical things because I think sometimes in the church, and this is part of our job, is we don't equip you well enough how to do this. Like, I know I should be doing it, but man, that, that's scary, and I don't know how to do it, and nobody's taught me how to do it. So, so how do I do this, Pastor Lance? Well, I'm going to tell you, the first thing that you need to do is you need to accept the commission. Accept the commission. <laughs> like, you have to understand, I love, I love what Rick Warren says. Rick Warren says, it's not the great suggestion, it's the great commission. <laughs> like, this is for everybody that would follow Jesus, not some special hand-picked guys that just, these, can I remind you, these were 12 ordinary dudes. They stunk like fish, they were fishermen, they didn't know nothing about the, the, the law. They weren't professionals. They didn't matriculate down Ivy League schools and, and everything like that. These weren't the cream of the crop handpicked by Jesus. These were the guys that just had enough faith to say yes when he called them. Come on, how many people are in the room today that just had enough faith to say yes to Jesus when he called you? But I think sometimes we can, we can, just like this lawyer, just like this, this, this scholar, we can justify why we don't do this in our own mind. No, this isn't for me. That was Pastor Lance. You don't understand. He was speaking to the 12 disciples. That, that was, that's not for me. That was for them. And by the way, you're the pastor. You're the one who does that. That's, that's what we kind of pay you for when we give tithes, right? Shouldn't you be doing that? That's not my job. That's your job, isn't it? And we can justify it in our own mind. I love what Anne Rand said in, in her book, Philosophy, Who Needs It? And Who Does? But I like this quote. She said this, rationalization is a process of not perceiving reality, but of attempting to make reality fit one's own emotions. Woo! So because I don't feel like doing that, I'm going to rationalize in my own mind why I shouldn't be doing it. And why I don't need to do it. You, you can do it. You're better at that. Well, you're a people person. You know, I think sometimes, uh, especially in this day and age, we get so wrapped up into personality types. And, and well, I, Pastor Lance, I went through the Discover class, and that wasn't my personality type. So I don't know that I should be sharing the gospel. 
Oh, Pastor Lance, that, uh, I was um, on the spiritual gifts test. Evangelism was down here. So am I, am I really the right person for this? You know, you're, you're just so much more like, you know, personable and you talk to people. Can't you do that? Isn't that part of what you do? All the personality people, you go share your faith while everybody else will just pray for you. And we could rationalize in our own mind. I, I, I like this. One pastor, he said it like this. He says, is it possible many Christians today misunderstand the Great Commission? He said this, perhaps they read it this way. Instead of go into all the world and baptize them, making uh, disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I've taught you. No, they read it this way. Go and convert all to an intellectual acceptance of my existence. And behold, my philosophical proofs are with you always, even to the end of the age. <laughs> like seriously, have we gotten into such a Western civilization, cultural mindset that we think we have to actually like convince people with our minds? And this is why I think there's this gap because we think we need to explain how in the world did Noah build this ark and kind of live on it and all that. Like, we think we gotta explain creation and we think we have to explain the wonders of God. Listen, if you can explain God to somebody, I don't know if that's the kind of God I wanna serve. God is so much bigger than that. And come on, you're never gonna be able to explain God away. Now, I'm not dismissing the fact that we should take apologetics seriously. In fact, we should. In fact, I hope this message spurs you on this morning to actually want to know how to defend and share your faith and be a witness for Christ. But at the same time, I've, I've had conversations with people where you go round and round and round and they just, honestly, I think they're just trying to, they're just trying to find a loophole. Just like this lawyer. They're trying to find a way. They don't want to believe. Listen, you know when there's somebody that wants to believe because they genuinely want to know, and they don't want to just know facts. They want to know, how has this made a difference in your life? Because I've got this void in here. So here's what I want to tell you. I want to remind you this morning. Heaven and hell are real, and people die and live for eternity in one of them. Come on, I think we forget this sometimes. We forget. Come on, if you read about hell in the Bible, and I know, I'm sorry, you came to church this morning, you wanted a feel-good message, you want Pastor Lance to encourage you. I am. I'm actually encouraging you. But there's some times that we need to realize heaven and hell are for real. These are real places that real people Right now, as we're doing this, there's somebody that is taking their last breath in the hospital. That's the reality. And I think sometimes it's easy for us, especially here in Montana, since we're, we're in this little bubble and we're, we're so distanced from all the craziness that is happening in our world and the racial tension and the rioting and, and everything that is going on, the immorality 
that is right in your face and so blatant and darkness is right in our face. And I think we sit here in our own little world going out on our canoe and looking at the mountains and it's wonderful and beautiful, but we can so easily forget that there are real people going to a real place called hell if they don't surrender their life to Jesus. The Bible says gives a picture one time of this man who's in hell and there's this, this chasm between heaven and hell and, and there's this beggar. In, in life, before he died, he was a beggar, poor beggar named Lazarus. And he, he's sitting in the bosom of Abraham and, and this man who was rich and wealthy and had a good life is, is literally engulfed in flames in hell. And, and he begs Lazarus, oh, if you could just dip your little pinky finger in, in some water and just put it on my tongue. I'm in agony. That's the reality. The Bible talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth, of a, of a lake of fire, burning sulfur. Th these are the images of this, this very real place called hell. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been in a fire before. But probably one of the scariest experiences in my life is, is a time where I was actually in a fire. I was sitting, never forget it. It was in the evening, watching TV, and down the hall comes this cloud of smoke. And I run to my stepdad who was in the other room, and, and he comes out, and he uh, runs, he opens the door, and smoke just starts pouring in. I mean, thick smoke. You can't see nothing. You, can, you immediately start choking. And he told me to hit, hit the ground. And so I, I got on my knees and I'm crawling out towards the door. And we hear this lady in the next apartment. This is in Yonkers, New York, in an apartment building. She is literally, she's an invalid. So like she, she can't, and she is screaming like, like she's dying. Like that scream literally like haunts me when I hear it in my head. She's screaming. And my stepdad I couldn't believe it. He had the courage. He, he knocks down the door, busts in the door, and goes in to try to save her. And he tells me, just get out of here. And I'm like choking on the smoke. I'm scared. I'm, I'm probably, I don't know, 12, 13 at the time. And I'm crawling, belly crawling out, down these steps, out the front door. And I'll never forget, the fire trucks are showing up. He's in there for, it seemed like 10, 15 minutes. It seemed like an eternity. And I'm standing outside, the firemen, they came, they put a blanket on me, they gave me some oxygen, because I mean, you're just, you're choking, you're coughing, you can barely catch your breath. And I'm like, standing out in the dark, wondering, is my stepdad gonna make it out alive? And is this woman, is she gonna make it out alive? Minutes seem like hours in that moment. And he comes out, and, and he's got her. And he's choking him. He, he, he just about collapses. And they, they start working on him. They put him, the medics were there. They start working on him. They start working on her. But I'll never forget that moment. Because I believe, for many of us, there are people all around us that they may not be invalids physically, but they are invalids spiritually, just like this man. He was beaten. He was robbed. He was stripped. He was stripped. He was beaten and left half alive left for dead. And what happened? The priest, when he saw this, he stepped to the other side of the road. Like, 
I'll let somebody else help you. I've got to get somewhere. I've got to get to my church service. And then another man, and Jesus even says, it just so happened, like on this road, like it wasn't even normal for somebody to come by to, to, to try to help this man. And the priest goes to the other side of the road and keeps going. And then the Levite comes. Now this guy, he wasn't a priest, but he was, he was a religious person. He was a good person. Levites, they lived very holy lives. They lived according to the Levitical standards lined out in the Old Testament, which meant that they were very strict in their religiosity. They went to church every day. They read their Bible. I mean, putting it in modern-day terms, they were serious about their faith. They were engaged in it. They probably led a connect group. I don't know, but they were very serious about their faith. This guy comes along, sees this man, and what does he do? He goes to the other side of the road and keeps walking. How many of us are passing by people that God has strategically placed in your life and in my life every single day, but because we're on our phones and we're playing Among Us or we're playing Clash of Clans or I've got to get somewhere, I've got a, I've got a list of things to do, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Hopefully somebody else can help you. And we move to the other side of the road. Come on, I believe that the church has moved to the other side of the room. I'm just saying. And it's time that the church wakes up, that God has called us and commissioned us. And unless you, not just me, unless you and you and you and you, what if everybody in this room accepted the commission? What if everybody in this room realized there are people, real people, whose lives are hanging in the balance. They've been stripped of their identity in Christ by this world. They've been robbed of the very things that God has fashioned in them, in his image, in his likeness. This world has beat people up. It's left them half dead. And God has called you and me to accept the commission. I love, I love that it's not just a mission. It's commission. My wife and I got to, uh, we got to go to the movies for the first time in like, man, I don't know when, probably six, eight months. We went, and it was a very weird experience, by the way. Uh, there was like us and like eight other people in the movie theater. What was really awesome, though, is popcorn was only $5. <laughs> I always, <laughs> that always kind of irked me how something that probably cost 30 cents, you know, it was like eight, nine dollars, and I love popcorn, so I was very pleased to see the popcorn was only five dollars. However, if you want butter, that's an extra five dollars, so it actually costs you 10. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we go to this movie called Tenet, and it's an interesting movie. It's a movie about, I, I love, I don't know about you, but I love movies, and I think this is why, like, the superhero movies have been very popular, all the Avenger movies and everything. I love movies where there's a mission to save the world. What is it about us that we love those type of movies? Come on, I've loved the Mission Impossible movies. Come on, somebody love me some Tom Cruise. <clears throat> Come on. All the ladies are like, I don't like the movie, but I'll go watch it. <laughs> I like me some Tom Cruise. Anyway, I've always loved the Mission Impossible movies. But you remember what they say after they give them the mission? This is your mission if you choose to accept it. 
So you got to choose to accept it. That's a personal thing. That's a personal decision. You got to choose. This is not somebody else's responsibility. It's my responsibility. That's the commission. And Jesus doesn't leave you alone to do it. He says, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. Right? Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. How many of you are glad that you got reconciled through Christ, to, to God through Christ Jesus? Listen, if you're glad, I got good news for you. He gave you and me the same ministry. The ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us, to us, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Do you know that you're an ambassador of Christ? As though God were making his appeal through us. Look, look at the urgency. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Come on, what if we left here today and we had this urgency that the realization that heaven and hell are real and real people are going to them every single day. I'll never forget, um, I read about this pastor who, as a pastor, oftentimes when, when people are getting close to death, you're called upon to you know, go to the hospital and, and encourage them and, and actually ask them if they have put their faith in Jesus. And I remember this story about this pastor one time that struck me. He said he went to go visit this man who was, who was slowly dying. And, you know, he got into this conversation with them and he was kind of looking for an opportunity to share Jesus. And it never really came up. They kind of made small talk and talked about other things. And, you know, it's kind of awkward and you feel a little hesitant, a little timid, a little shy to do that. And he said, so he just thought to himself, he rationalized, justified in his mind um, I'll just build a little rapport with this guy and I'll come back, you know, tomorrow and share Jesus with them. So that's what he did. He, he blessed the man and he left the hospital, went home that day. The very next afternoon, he comes to the hospital and as he is approaching the man, the man's room, he noticed that the friends and family are all in the room and all gathered around there. And there's no, he doesn't hear the beep, beep, beep. There's nothing. And people are crying and mourning. It was too late. He missed his opportunity. Ah. I don't want to miss the opportunity. There are people around us that God has put in your life. That's why the second point is this. You see a need, you meet a need. When you recognize that God has called you to live life on mission and commissioned you to share your faith. One of the easiest ways to share your faith is look at the needs of the people around you. Whether you're at work, in your neighborhood, um, in your family. Right now, there are people that God has put in your path, just like this man was put in the path of the Good Samaritan, just like he was put in the other two that didn't make a difference in this man's life. Thank God for that Samaritan. Thank God that he looked at him and had compassion on him. You know, sometimes you just need to see things for it to get in your heart. I'll never forget, today we're, we're celebrating our Hope is Here 
project, which is our community outreach to Evergreen Junior High School. And if you, when you leave today, you're going to see a booth set up for that. And we're going to encourage you to sign up for that. One of the reasons we do that is because we're meeting a need in the community at that school. But I'll never forget, there was one Christmas, at Christmas time, and in fact, coming up, we're going to ask you to give to it. We, we um, have a Christmas offering, and you give to that Christmas offering, and we take that Christmas offering. We put on, we ask Principal Kim at Evergreen Junior High School, can you give us a list of, of people, kids in your school, who probably wouldn't have a Christmas if somebody didn't help them? And she says, sure. So she gives us a list anywhere between 10 and 20 kids. And so... We take that list, we go shopping, it's so much fun. And, and it's such a blessing because you guys give to it so generously. We go out, we go shopping, we buy them all these things. And, um, and, and then we get to wrap them up and have a party for them. Well, one year, the first year we did it, uh, there was a couple kids that didn't make it to school that day. And so Pastor David and I, at night, in the evening, we got in our cars and we, we got the addresses and we went with Principal Kim. And I'll never forget, there was this trailer park. Whew. that we went to, my daughter and I went to deliver Christmas gifts. And it's this old camper that they made into a house with plywood. And we go in there and my daughter actually had to leave because it, it reeked so bad of cat urine. And when I went in and I saw water leaking from the roof and I saw how they were living, the conditions that they were living in, man, God just gripped my heart for those people. I asked him to pray for you. I said, oh yes, pastor. And we got to pray for them. But I'm telling you, sometimes you just have to, you have to see things for it to get in your heart. And, and, and too many times we intentionally pass by on the other side. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see the pain. I don't want to see the hurt. I don't want to get down in the, in the dirt with people and in their life. I want, to, I want a church that's clean. And, and you know, we, we don't have people that come in and they look certain ways and have tattoos and coming off addiction and all those things. Man, my prayer is that we would have a church full of those people so that God can get a hold of their life and turn them around. There's some of those people in this room right now. I'm chief among them. I'm so glad somebody was willing to see need and brokenness in my life. And they were willing to meet that need. So you don't have to know all the Bible. You don't, know how, you don't need to know all the answers. You just need to know that when you look at somebody, that God gives you the, his heart for them. If you see the brokenness, so just build a personal relationship. Just ask God to show you who are the people in my life that you've put here that I can build a personal relationship with and see a need that you have made me to be able to meet that need. James 2, 14 through 17 says this, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? So then he gives an example. So suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food and if one of them says to them, hey, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? How many times do we do that as the church? Or oh, here's a gift card. God bless you. Or we show up on Christmas and do the party and then, oh, have, have a great rest of the year. We'll see you next Christmas. And we're not willing to be in their lives. We're not willing to come back and say, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? I want to understand it. Man, we would get so much further if we would stop judging people and we would ask them, 
I want to know what's going on in your life. I want to understand better how you feel, how you see the world. Listen, we've got to get out of this mindset, it's us against the world, that the world is evil and it's going to hell and we just need to keep in our little bubble here in Montana and in the church and while the rest of the world is dying and going to hell and we're sitting in our churches worshiping Jesus and saying yes and amen but doing absolutely nothing to share our faith. We have been so richly blessed so richly blessed. How can we not? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied with action, is dead. It's dead. <laughs> can I tell you that the greatest gift that we have been given is eternal life? That will die with you. Everything in creation was made to reproduce itself. So that the faith in you was made to reproduce itself into somebody else. Life was meant to reproduce life. That's how this whole thing works. Faith was never meant for just you. Your faith was meant to be shared with other people. So you do it by see a need, meet a need. The second thing you do is just live a life worthy of the gospel. People are watching you. People know you're a Christian. They know we, we got our bumper stickers with the fish. You know, we, we got all of it. We've got our wristbands. We, get, we post our stuff on Facebook. That's all great. But do you actually live a life worthy of the gospel? Paul says, encouraging the Philippians in 127, only be sure to lead your lives in a manner that will be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I do come and see you or remain absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit and one purpose with one mind, striving side by side as if in combat for the faith of the gospel. Come on, God is raising up an army to send out into this world that are standing side by side, linked arms, saying that we are ambassadors for Christ and we have been commissioned to go into the world. To share our faith. How do you do that? Just share your story. We make this so complicated. I actually think the, the enemy, the devil, he does, this is the last thing he wants you to do. That's why he'll justify it in your mind. He'll rationalize it out. That's why you ever been around somebody and you're feeling a stirring, like maybe I should talk to him about Jesus. And inside, immediately, the lawyer kicks in. <laughs> And tells you a million reasons why. Uh, I don't know if you really have time for that, Lance. You've got this meeting upcoming a little bit. And, you know, I don't know. This may not be the right time. I just want to be led by the Spirit. <laughs> just share your story. You've got a story. Your story is your testimony. In Revelation, there's two things that said that you're going to be an overcomer. We want to be an overcomer. How do you become an overcomer? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of what? Our testimony. That's your story. Look, there's no testimony without a test. There, there are things that you've gone through in your life that God has done for you. Your, your story is, is your testimony of how you came to faith in Christ. That's the most important story that you could ever share. But it's not the only one. So this is, what, this is how this works. This is how this plays out. You're sitting next to your coworker and you break into a conversation uh, around the water cooler at lunch and, and you, 
You look for the need, look for the hurt. People will give you a clue where the hurt is. You ask them, so tell me about your family. And they start talking about their family and they said, well, you know, my wife and I, we haven't really been getting along so well. Really? And how are you, how are you handling that? How's that? How's that working for you? Not good, actually. We're talking about divorce. Well, and I'm not saying this for myself. This is a made-up story. There was a time in my life where my wife and I were kind of at that place, and God showed up. Let me tell you what he did for me. God will give you those moments. A lot of people like to call them divine appointments. You got to be recognized that there, God is going to give you moments in time, divine appointments, where if you just be willing to share a little bit about your story, God would honor it. First Peter 3.15 says, but in your hearts reveal Christ as Lord. If, if Christ really is Lord of your life and my life, then our life is not our own. That moment, I don't own it, God does. I'm surrendered to him. That's what this means. He said, if, if you're surrendered to Jesus and you're living in the moment with him, always be prepared to give everyone an answer for the hope that you have. See this key? I don't wear this key to look cool or fashion statement. I wear this key because when, when my wife and I were on sabbatical, we went to downtown LA. And in downtown LA, if you've ever been there, there are streets, there's streets you go down and there's Gucci and, and you know, I don't know, Saks Fifth Avenue, whatever, I think that's New York. There's these, all these hip restaurants and, and luxury places and people walking down look like models and actresses. One block over, people living in tents on the street, strung out on drugs, laying there, beat up by life, stripped of their identity, don't know who they are, lying half dead. And we walked around this corner and there's this little shop. It's called the Giving Key, I think. Is that it? And you go in there and they have prisoners that take old keys and they engrave things on them. This one says hope. I wear this around my neck. Most of the time it's tucked into my shirt, so you never know it. And sometimes like if I have it out, it'll hit me or I'll just feel it on my chest right here where my heart is. And it reminds me, always be ready. Always be prepared. For what? To explain the theology of God, the creation of the world, how dinosaurs came, no. Be prepared to share the hope. I have this hope. It's an anchor for my soul. Sure, it's steady. But look what he says. Do this with gentleness and respect. Come on, too many of us, we're, we're, we're combating people. We're, I, it concerns me, quite honestly, as a pastor, to see some of the interactions on Facebook and it's one thing to stand up for your faith. It's, an, it's another thing to shove it in somebody's face. Say, you're wrong. You're going to hell. You people are just messed up, jacked up. When our hearts should be breaking for them. Because we look too much at the person instead of the spirit behind it. 
They're just like us. They're, they're lost, confused. They're in darkness. They're broken. They're hurting. And they don't know the hope that you and I have. You got to give an invitation. Some of us, this is where we stop. Stop. We, we share our story, but we never give an invitation. We never say, would you like to know this Jesus that I know? Do you want to know why I have hope? And I know that cannot be easy, but it's really quite simple. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and you declare with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll have eternal life. Give the invitation. If you have trouble with it, invite them. Invite them to church. Invite them to your connect group. Invite them into an encounter. Pray for them. Man, I've never, heard, I've never had anybody, even atheists, refuse prayer. Like, that's the easiest way. If God is tugging on your heart, somebody just say, hey, God just put you on my heart. Do you mind if I pray for you? Invite them into an encounter with Jesus. Come on, there's something that can happen when we believe in faith and pray for them. There's something God can give you a word for them, a prophetic word. The gifts of the Spirit start getting stirred up in you. God, God, you can ask them, hey, I noticed that you were limping a little bit. Can I pray for your leg? And I've seen God show up and do miracles. And I'm telling you, people want to have an encounter. They need to have an encounter with Jesus. It's not just in the head, it's with the heart. And they need to experience the love of God. And maybe you're just the conduit that God wants to use for you to share the love of God. This is the last thing we're done. None of this works without first receiving God's love. You got to receive God's love to share God's love. Now, I, the Bible is perfect. This story ends with the Good Samaritan and the very next scene in Luke chapter 10, it moves into the story of Mary and Martha. I think that is absolutely brilliant. Why? Because you could read this story and, and feel like, man, I gotta go out, I gotta, I gotta change the world, man. Somebody, give me somebody to share Jesus with. Like, we gotta rally people, we gotta get out, we gotta do something. And I hope that you are like that. But let me tell you something, it's not just about, you can't just go out and do it. You've actually got to have something to give. You got to have something to share. And the story of Mary and Martha, it's like Jesus just tells them, now go do this. And then he rebukes Martha for doing something. I'm so confused. What do you want me to do? And the point is this. He said, Martha, you're worried and busy and doing all these things. Mary, she's doing the most important thing. She's sitting at my feet. She's learning from me. She's getting my heart. See, it wasn't just Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. It was, she was looking through the eyes of love. She was looking into the heart of God. She was getting God's heart. She was hearing Jesus. She was, she was feeling his heart so that she would have that heart. See, you and I, we can't, apart from God's love, we don't have it. I don't have that heart. And that's the reality as we sit here today and as we close the service. And by design, it leaves us thinking, oh God, help me. I don't have a heart for this. 
I need more of your heart for people. I'm lacking in love. I'm lacking in compassion. I've become so disconnected from just like having a heart for people and I need it and I don't know how, I don't know where that begins. It begins right here. Did you admit it? I know it's getting late. I wanna, I wanna share this last story. I don't know how many of you are parents and one of the beautiful things about having children is that get to see this person birthed, get to see life happen, and then you care for them, and you watch them grow up, and you're blessed to be part of that process. One time, my wife and I, we were on vacation in Orlando, Florida, and we went to Disney World, and we took our kids, kids there, and you know, it's crazy, it's packed, people everywhere, and we go to get on a ride, and yeah, we got five kids, so we gotta count good. And and we're counting one, two, three, four. Wait a minute. There's only four. Oh my gosh. You know that moment of sheer panic and terror like starts racing through your mind. Wait a minute. I can't find my son, Jaden. He's not where'd he go? Oh my gosh. And you start scrambling and, and thoughts start racing through your mind and and you're frantically running around. My wife's going this way, I'm going that way. We're frantically running around looking for our son. The whole time in your mind, you're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible parent. Um, what if we don't find him? All these things. And then I'll never forget the moment when the security people come around the corner with my son and the relief and the love you just hug them and hold them and just thank God I found you. And in that moment, I felt what God feels when one of his kids are lost. And the reality is that they're going to hell if they don't know him. God, I want my heart to break like that for people. I want my heart to break like that for people. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for saving us. Thank you that we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. God, we come before you right now. Come on, if this is the prayer of your heart, just pray with me. I believe, I feel it in the room. I feel like I, I should ask you to raise your hand for those of you online, but, but I'm not going to. You just, you know who you are, you know, and I believe this is a prayer for everybody in this room. God, I pray that you would forgive us, forgive us for going our own way, for going to the other side of the road, for not having a heart that breaks for the things that break your heart. God, for not having compassion for people, for not accepting the commission that you've given us. God, for, for those times where we've been too afraid of people and not afraid enough that their destiny lies in that moment. 
God, I pray that you would not only forgive us, but you would give us the boldness and the courage, God, to, to step out in faith, to share our faith. God, I pray for every single one of us, this would burn in our heart, that we wouldn't leave here the same, God. We'd go out into the world, make disciples of all nations, people who aren't like us, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that you've taught us. And I know that you'll be with us every step of the way, God. Now, I just, I don't want to end the service without giving an opportunity. There's some of you, maybe you're here today and maybe you're just like that man that was beat up by life. He was robbed and he was left half dead. Maybe today is the day. Can I tell you a secret? We like to think we're the hero in this story. We're not the good Samaritan. Jesus is the good Samaritan. He's the one that bandages up our wounds, pours oil and wine over us, puts us on his own donkey, takes us, cares for us, and brings us back to health. And maybe you want to surrender your life to Jesus today. Can I tell you, the Father is looking for you. He's been searching for you. And today is the day that you're found. If that's you, I just want to ask with every eye closed, if you'll just raise your hand, say, Pastor Lance, yeah, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? I want to know Jesus. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Maybe you're online. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're in Eureka. Maybe that's you. If that's you, just slip your hand up and I want to pray for you. Pray this prayer. Everyone pray this prayer with me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me, for giving your life to me. I receive it. I believe that you're the Son of God, that you gave your life for the forgiveness of my sins. Forgive me, wash me clean, and give me new life. I surrender to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Hope Church. If you enjoyed this message, you can easily support the ministry of Hope Church at hopechurchmt.com give. Also follow us on social media at hopechurchmt. Be blessed and have a great week.